Our primary text is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Hear the word of God. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear the word that you've recorded to us through your servant Paul, uh, the word that has spoken for thousands of years, uh, the word that has equipped your saints and to live in this world, to form us spiritually, to conform us to Christ. And I pray that you would do that with us this morning, that as we consider this word, whether it is a familiar word and familiar theme, or one that we are not uh, quite as familiar with, uh, that you would speak, that you would encourage, you would instruct, uh, you would shape, uh, you would bless through the consideration of this word that we might be conformed, that we might grow to the full maturity that you are at work making us, that we might have the fullness of joy that belongs to all who belong to you. And so, Father, we pray in accordance with your word, may your spirit bless us, granting us understanding, and may we live the truth. To To you be all praise and glory in this church. We pray in Christ. Amen. On October 24th, 2013, Australian pilot David Black was killed instantly when his plane crashed to the ground. While Black was performing his job as a water bomber, attempting to put out a large brush fire in a remote area of New South Wales. The reports have indicated this. A witness said that one of the plane's wings fell off before the aircraft plunged to the ground. The report said that the pilot was approaching the brush fire target area uh, when the wings separated, causing the aircraft to immediately roll to the left and descend and crash to the ground. And then officially, a preliminary uh, examination indicated that the left outboard wing lower attachment lug had fractured through an area of pre-existing fatigue Cracking the lug, it's lower, uh, cracking the lug in the lower ligament, causing the wing to detach while the pilot was in flight. Now, this tragic story reminds us of something that is probably pretty obvious. Not even the best of pilots are able to fly a plane when one of the wings is missing. And this pertains to us as well, though maybe not immediately obvious. Puritan Thomas Watson has pointed out that faith and repentance are the two wings by which we fly toward heaven. Now, if you've been at Grace Covenant for any length of time, you've heard me say that many, many, many times. You might have even been able to finish it uh, before I finished. Some of you might have even known what I was going to say as soon as I stated Thomas Watson. But the imagery, I think, is is so wonderful because it it is so vivid, uh, so memorable, and so true. 
that we, are, we need both wings, faith and repentance, to be able to fly toward heaven. That, those are both components of our spiritual growth. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the Colossians later on, just as you received him, so live in him. How is it that we receive Christ? Well, through faith and repentance, or repentance and faith. Uh, you can argue with the theologians if you want as to which one comes first, or even if there is a particular order. But one thing is absolutely sure that theologians of all um, Christian traditions recognize is Faith and repentance always go together when there is a genuine salvation. Now, I suspect that for our church, the faith part, most of us have, at least uh, comparatively well. We focus on faith. We may feel inadequate. We may feel the need and recognize our need to, to grow in faith. But our attention is turned to what God has promised in the person of Jesus Christ as he has fulfilled that. And so we continually come and we study the word and we listen to preaching and podcasts and read books, all to fortify our faith and to deepen our understanding of that faith. But the repentance part... I suspect is often missing or malfunctioning. You know, for for many people, the idea of repentance seems to be just a a necessary evil. It's something that that we know we may need from time to time, but we would prefer to be able to avoid, kind of like a, a laxative. You know, it's good to have it if you need it, but who wants to think about it? And for other people, it may be a comfort to know that it's there, kind of like an AFLAC policy, the, the you know, supplemental insurance. But we don't want to use it. We just like having it. And when we find that we need it, then we're glad that we have it, but we don't want to need it again. And, and I, to me, this sort of makes sense because in my instinctive mind, it's kind of like, well, repentance is connected to sin, Right? We're not supposed to sin, so we shouldn't need to repent. So the idea that repentance is something that we should just embrace and be really familiar with, I mean, isn't that for only like the the really, really messed up people, people who really have problems, people who really struggle? And the reality of the Scripture says a couple of things. The answer to that in one sense is no, it's not just for those kinds of people. And then even the worst news is this, is even if it's not for those kinds of people, we are those kinds of people because we're all broken. We all like sheep stray. We go our own way. We may look over our shoulder at God in the midst of it. We may just have moments where we're not even thinking about God, but we all stray. We all sin. We all wander from the way of the Lord. And then we have this issue, sin. What do we do with it? And sometimes we're just so afraid to look at the reality of the sin because we don't know what to do with it. And yet the Lord has told us, whether coming to faith in the first place or whether having been walking with the Lord uh, for years and years, the remedy for the reality of our sin is a rhythm of repentance and then belief. It is belief that also reveals the law that reveals to us our need for repentance. But repentance is one of the two wings that are necessary for us to have as part of our regular routine, regular rhythm, in order for us to be able to function, to grow spiritually, to to move in the direction that we want to move. Martin Luther famously said that when Jesus said, repent, 
his intent was that we live all of our lives out in repentance. It's not only a take as needed, it's always needed. Now, this morning what I want to do is, is kind of cut through the, some of the confusion that many people have. Maybe we can unconfuse one another this morning. And so if you're a note taker, the outline is really, really simple. We're going to look first at what repentance is not, and then we're going to look at what repentance is, and then we'll come back to the, the primary text. Uh, so you can probably remind that, remember those two points, even without uh, notes, what it isn't, what it is, and why it matters. And so we'll start with what repentance is not. And so for that, we're going to look at uh, the passage in Hosea, Hosea chapter 6. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'm, going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to read this, and we'll work our way through just the, the first few verses here. But Hosea chapter 6 is uh, Israel's prayer. We see the first part. We'll look at Israel's prayer and, and God's response to that. Israel had, uh, once again, had rebelled uh, against uh, the Lord's ways. Uh, the Lord had brought um, uh, the chastisement upon them. The people were, were hurting because of, of not only the, the, the circumstance, but recognition that they seemed to be out of, out of accord with, with God. And so in Hosea chapter 6, uh, verse 1, we, we read uh, the prayer that the, the people offered up to the Lord. Uh, it was uh, the, the, the priests, uh, the leaders, begin the, the prayer of this, Come, let us return to the Lord. The words, it's an acknowledgement that they had wandered, they had strayed. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And what's a beautiful prayer? As the, the people recognize, okay, we've been far from the Lord. Uh, we have strayed. We have offended God. We have alienated him. Uh, we've experienced the discipline that we deserve. We, we recognize that. Well, but, you know, we, let's, let's just come back to God and God will forgive us. And here is probably the most biblical expression of the whole phrase. God will forgive us. That's his job. but let's see how the Lord responds. Picking up in verse 4. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes early away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets, I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as the light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. I don't know if you're picking up on what's going on here, because it really is rather stunning to uh, many uh, Christians, many evangelicals here. The people offer this seemingly beautiful prayer, let's return to God. What else would God want from us? You know, and, and so we want to trust the promise of God. God is merciful. He'll have mercy. You know, in two days, I mean, this is, this is just the nature of God. What a beautiful prayer. And God said, you know what? I'm not having it. He doesn't accept their prayer. He doesn't accept the repentance at this time. And that's stunning. Well, doesn't God accept all of that? Apparently not. Why not? Well, the reason is what they offered was not repentance. It's what passes for repentance, but it's not repentance. Repentance. 
I mean, consider what it was that they were saying and the motive behind what uh, they were praying. Basically, they were saying, we've suffered long enough. There was no real remorse for their actions. There was no sense of, we have dishonored God. We have, we have alienated the one who has provided us uh, with everything. They have defiled and defaced the, the reputation of God as the other nations are watching the relationship between God and his people. None of that seems to be on their mind. They've just said, we're, we're tired of hurting. We need this to stop. We can't stop it. So we'll go back and we'll offer a prayer to God. We'll offer some sacrifices to God. And then God will, he'll just, you know, he'll just accept this because that's his job, right? God apparently wasn't aware that that was his job description. And and the Lord responds and, and he tells us, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifices. I desire for you to come to know me rather than offering burnt offerings. Now I've provided and the things that they were using were part of God's sacrificial system because we are broken and we do sin and we can't fix it. And God in his mercy and his grace, he's allowed us uh, ways in which we may come to him. And in the old covenant order, it was through these sacrifices in our present day. It's through uh, what Christ has accomplished and, and through trusting and resting in, in Christ. But saying a prayer and offering a sacrifice is no substitute for the holiness that God commands that we live. And so when we stray from that, simply offering up words that seem so poetic and so polished, and then maybe making ourselves feel bad and, you know, doing something, an offering, a sacrifice, some sort of negotiation, it's not what brings pleasure to God. That's not what Christianity or even Judaism is all about. It's about the relationship and the restoration of the relationship, not going through a bunch of rituals. And so here we we see a a picture of what passes for repentance, but repentance is not. It it falls more in the idea of penance. We'll do certain things, and then when we feel like we've suffered enough, uh, then we'll, we'll we'll offer these sacrifices, and we'll just go through these. And the Lord says, that's not what I want. Don't you get it? I want want to know you. I want you to know me. If you're in knowing me, then you will find your own fullness. And so there we see a very vivid biblical picture of what repentance is is not. But then what is repentance? Repentance is a radical transformation of of the heart, the orientation of of, of our lives, uh, to change our perspective, recognizing that when there's a difference of opinion between us and God, God's right. And then we align ourselves to what God thinks and what God does. It's a recognition that we have um, not only done what's not right, we have caused offense against the, the holiness and the perfection of God. It's a total reorientation. The late 19th century bishop, uh, J, uh, Anglican Bishop J.C. Ryle says, repentance is a thorough change in the person's natural heart upon the subject of sin. And according to Ryle, in a, a, an essay that he wrote on uh, just called repentance, there are, are distinctive marks of repentance. And there's many, many people that have sliced it up, but he has, uh, his are succinct enough that uh, they can be easily remembered, and, um, and, uh, and yet they are, are comprehensive. And so he lists five marks of repentance uh, that are worthy of all of us to consider and to uh, embrace, even consider whether they're part of our own practice and our own consideration, whether they are the parts of the wing by which we are flying or desiring to fly toward heaven. 
And, and so the first one is that Ryle says this, is that true repentance begins with a knowledge of sin. Now, that could be foundational in one sense, just awareness that there is something that's called sin, which is a, any violation or falling short of the standards of God. But even more particularly, it's an awareness that you and I do have sin. As John writes in his epistle, if any of you thinks that you don't sin, you're kidding yourself or deceiving yourself or lying to yourself. Even though we have been forgiven, even though we have been counted righteous before God in in, in Christ as part of the gift of salvation, we still struggle with sin in our lives. And so the awareness of that reality is one of the foundational things leading us toward repentance. Now, then there's also the specific awareness, because now knowing just that we are sinners, that's a start, but each of us needs to deal with in what way? How are we wandering from God? How are we chafing at God? Maybe we are doing what God wants us to do, but our attitude about doing what God wants us to do is poor. We need to be aware about how each of us is engaged in sin. Ryle goes on to the second one, is after the repentance begins with a knowledge of sin, he says repentance produces a sorrow for sin. What we saw in Israel is they were sorry, but they were sorry for the consequences of their sin. They were not sorry for the sin itself necessarily. And so it's important that we recognize sorrow itself does not equal repentance, but genuine repentance includes an expression of sorrowness, an awareness of just how hard our sin is because our sin affects people around us. It affects those that we love the most and who have loved us despite ourselves at times. And above all, sin is against God. That's why David, as he expresses in Psalm 51, kind of it seeming odds words against you and you only have I sinned. And particularly odd, if you know the context, is David writes this after he had been confronted because of his affair with Bathsheba. And if you're a Bible student, you remember the situation there. He's thinking, against you and you only have a sin? Let's see, okay, so you used your position of power with a woman and bring her into a relationship. Yeah, it was voluntary, but you know what was she going to say anyway because you're the king? Uh, then when her husband was uh, about to find out about it, you decided to put him in a position where he was going to be killed. I mean, if I was him, I'd be thinking, David, uh, against God only have sin? You know, you kind of you know, you put me in, in, in the front of the fire and got killed. I, I, I think I find that offensive. But as all Bible scholars agree, is what David is saying is, yeah, when we sin against one another, it's bad. But all sin is against God. But when we sin against one another, it's just people against people. It's bad. But when we sin against God, that's creation against the the creator. We are rebelling against the one who gives us and provides everything, and it brings it to a whole new level. And so comparatively, even though David had sinned against many people, not to mention how he had betrayed his own people as a whole because of his king, as, as the king, the way that God responds to sin, it is so personal. It's almost as if everything else is overshadowed. And our sin, as we, we think about that, when we sin, we are bringing offense, disappointment to God. And, and for that, genuine repentance has a measure of sorrow. Third, Ryle says this, true repentance produces confession of sin. Now, that makes sense that we 
if we recognize it and there is sorrow, uh, we don't then hide. And here's where I think many of us uh, probably struggle. Uh, we do it in our own interpersonal relationships. What is it? Sorry seems to be the hardest words. And so sometimes it's hard. And so we try to make sure that we do enough things so that we have something to appeal to so that we can stand before one another. We do the same thing with God. We may offer our prayer, similar to the people in Israel. We may even mean sorry, but we try really hard. And genuine repentance is just a confession. Lord, this is what I have done. This is what I have not done. This is what I have thought. This is what I, this has been my attitude. Fourth true repentance produces a breaking off from sin. Saying sorry, but planning to do it again is not repentance. Again, just like the sorrow, it's important that we understand this. Personal reformation is not the same as repentance. But repentance always involves a personal reformation, reconforming to God's standards. Giving examples for this, a number of years ago um, in the first church that I served, uh, one of our elders' daughters was involved in um, a relationship with her boyfriend. She became pregnant. Um, and obviously the, uh, the details became known through her Christian school and throughout the Chattanooga community. And they decided after the child was born, they, they were not going to engage in, in sexual relationship anymore. They were not married, but there was no contrition, no repentance. And trying to help her see that and just was hard. Here's, here's the problem with the idea that stopping doing something is the same as repenting. Imagine I have been on a tear in robbing banks, well, since Christmas time, you know, got to pay all the credit card bills and all that stuff. But this past week, I've been pretty good. I haven't robbed a bank. And so the police catch up with me. And my appeal to them is, am I in a bank robbing it right now? Have I robbed a bank? I mean, I stopped. I don't do that anymore. I, I stopped that. Is, is that going to be a sufficient defense when they bring me up before the judge? Stop it doing what you ought not be doing is, is not the same as being made right. And yet somehow spiritually we have this mindset that, okay, I, I've been doing that. I'm going to stop. I'm going to try. I'm gonna, and I haven't, I've been clean for a week, a month, a year. The only thing that does is it doesn't add to the debt. It doesn't rectify what has happened in the past. Our sin must be atoned for. It must be paid for. And repentance is the means by which God has said that's to be done, that we confess to him and then we are changed because of a recognition of just all of the complexities of, of our sin. And so there is a stopping prompted by a desire to honor God and to bless the people who are around us. That is encompassing of repentance, but simply stopping of the, of the bad behavior or engaging in the proper behavior, begrudgingly or not, doesn't change the past. And so 
there is a there is a, a transformation. There's a breaking off from the sin is 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 a consequence of the of um, uh, the sorrow for it. And then finally, I think that this is often left off as Ryle says, true repentance produces a deep hatred of sin. It's that thing that you look about in your life, whether you struggle with it from time to time now or it's just something that you have recovered, but you think back to it, it just makes you cringe. I can't believe I, I, can't believe I did that or I can't believe I, I failed to do that thing. And, and just loathing uh, the action because its minds and hearts have been conformed to what God has called us to conform to. And I think Ryan was right. This is a comprehensive way of looking. What is genuine repentance in all five marks? It's a recognition that we, we have sin. We, we are uh, sinners, and, and therefore we, we struggle with sin. We recognize that that sin is offensive to God as well as to the people around us, and so we're sorry for the sin. We confess that to God and not just try to work off our debt. We confess on that, and then part of the confession is the changing of the orientation. Rather than walking away from God, we walk toward God, and walking toward God, we leave the baggage of the sinful behavior behind. That's the intent of, of, of genuine repentance. And then as we think about it, it's not something that we want to engage in again. These are the marks of, of genuine repentance, and so we, we know what repentance is not, at least have a picture of that. Now we have a picture of what repentance is. There's three other very quick things uh, that I think are maxims from a, a guy named uh, Richard Owen Roberts in his outstanding book, Repentance, the, the First Word of the Gospel. I, mean, just, I won't elaborate on these things, but three things to consider. He says this, true repentance is not merely of the fruit of sin, but the very roots. In other words, the sin that we recognize is the tip of the iceberg. There's a root, and so when you chop off the behavior and the sin, even through uh, repentance, it's kind of like running your lawnmower over the lawn and cutting down the dandelions in the springtime. They're back. The only way that you eradicate it is by going to the roots, and so when we see sin in our lives, then we trace it back to the roots, and we repent not just of the things that we see or that we've been found out in, but what is the foundational root of whether it's bitterness or ugliness toward other people, apathy or whatever. What is, what is beneath? And we repent of those things too. The second maxim is true repentance is not merely turning from what you have done, but turning from what you are. It's a recognition that we are weak, and it's not that we have sinned. There's an old maxim, heard it many, many times. We are not sinners because we have sinned. We sin because in our nature we are sinners. And third is true repentance is not what you do for yourself, but what you do for God. It's not, I need to get out of trouble. It's, Lord, I live to glorify you. I want to honor you. I want to please you. Therefore, we repent. I'm going to turn my attention back to the primary text that we looked at as we began uh, the message in, in 2 Corinthians. Now, the context of that is uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, the, the second letter. Um, his first letter to the Corinthians was kind of like a, a report card with lots of D's and F's and, and a few comments on the side, like, what were you thinking? Um, I mean, that just permeates the whole letter of 1 Corinthians. And Paul knew that his assessment and his tone were likely 
hurtful, that the people were, were probably stung somewhat. And, and what Paul is saying throughout the beginning of this letter, and certainly within this chapter, is he, he had some regrets. He was beginning to think, ah, maybe I was a little too harsh. I mean, the things needed to be addressed. I'm only responding to things that uh, the people brought to my attention, but, uh, you know, it was, reading, reading my letter, it's, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a bomb. It, it, it probably, people were probably pretty bruised about it. But what he's saying in these verses, but now hearing of the response of the Corinthian people to the letter that he wrote, um, he's filled with joy. The truth stung, but after a moment they recognized what Paul said was true, and they repented. And he said, so the response was wonderful. I, 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 you know, I was having some regrets here, but now that I heard how you respond to this, I, I, I couldn't be happier. And Paul, through this, is saying that the earlier letter was not the final grade. It was more like a, a midterm report. And hearing how they've responded to the things that were pointed out, now that they were aware of where their sin was and their foolishness and their behavior, Paul's saying, you know, not only do I have every expectation that you're going to graduate, but because you've returned to Christ, because your record has been made clean, because you have genuinely expressed repentance as well as faith in Christ, you're going to graduate with honors. And see, what Paul is writing and throughout the scripture and any number of the passages deal with the issue of repentance are encouraging us to see that repentance is a grace that comes from God that he invites us to engage in. And that's what I want for you and I want to continually to cultivate within my own life is that repentance is to be a way of life. But even as I say that, and even as we prepare to come to this table, which is an invitation to repent, I want to also reemphasize that repentance itself is never to be a singular activity. Repentance must always be accompanied by faith. Because if we turn our attention and think, okay, now I got it, now I'm going to practice repentance, but we don't always accompany our repentance with faith, what we've simply done is we've reattached the bolt of the wing, that, uh, from the, uh, the good wing, to the wing that was falling off, and now the good wing, the faith wing, can fall off, and we're still not going to fly toward heaven. We need both faith and repentance. And God has sent through these things, your relationship with me is deepened. Through these things, you will grow in grace. And through these things, you will fly toward your destination. And because this is God's promise, my prayer is that we would believe and do.